Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Austin. I am one of the pastors here. Um, and there's something that I'm trying to get in the habit of doing more often. And I would uh, pray that you would indulge me uh, this morning as we start a new series uh, called Bumper Sticker Faith. Um, I'm a little bit behind on some thank you notes. Um, I like to write thank you notes and just uh, just notes in general to um, remind myself what God is doing. So, Chad, can you come up? And I really actually like some music. I don't know if you like to write with music, but I like to write with some music. So, Chad, can I get some thank you card music? Dear Jesus, thank you for helping me ace that math test. I didn't study, but you gave me the answers anyway. Wouldn't be here without you. I've got it from here. P.S. Jesus, take the wheel. Anybody else? Test? You got to test? You got to take? No, summer school's in summer, so no test. Here, I got another one, Todd. Ready? Dear Jesus, thank you for getting me Ashley's number while in Bible class. Also, thank you for making me look so good in front of her. You are the man. She's hooked. I'll take it from here, Jesus. P.S. Jesus, take the wheel. Thanks. One more. You got time for one more? Okay, let's go. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving me all the right things to say in my interview with Pine Lake. They threw some hard questions, but boy, the Holy Spirit really pulled through and impressed them a lot. Hey, Jesus, they said yes. So good. Thanks, man. Jesus, take the wheel. Thank you so much, Chad. Uh, So good to have some writing music on there. Um, I don't know about you, but I think you should take up the practice this week of writing some uh, thank you notes to Jesus. Uh, Some people call it journaling. I actually like to kind of write these, and then I have them now. But... um, but I would say this, if you, write, if you write some thank you notes, please don't do it like me. Please. Um, there's something like, I don't know, there's something fundamentally wrong with me, yes. And I know you'll all agree with it. But there's something like fundamentally wrong with just how I wrote those. And um, uh, confession time, I love confession in church. It's so great, especially right now. Like those were actual moments. Like there's a literally moments in my life where I'm just like, have you ever prayed that prayer to God? You're like... Jesus, I did not study at all, right? And so, or all these moments, and then you're like, mm, Jesus, thank you so much. Now you did what I asked you to do. Now I'm done with you. And so that can be like a misrepresentation so much. And I think our culture sees a lot of that. In particular, which is the reason why we're doing this series, is on bumper stickers. And this week we're talking about a classic one I've seen for decades that still exists. And maybe you'll find it on a car here in the Seattle Sammamish area. Uh, it says, is, Jesus is my co-pilot. Like anybody ever have seen that really, um, in real life. Yes, I know, right? Um, and it's just, sometimes I remember the first time I saw it, and I was like, you know, you walk into a Christian, like, bookstore or something like that, and you see all those, and that one caught my eye, and I was like, hmm, there's something wrong with that. And I just had this question, and this question for you. If you feel like that's you, or like, Jesus really is my co-pilot in life, I have just a, a thing we're going to talk about this morning. If Jesus is your co-pilot, please switch seats, 
Switch seats, people. If Jesus is your co-pilot this morning, we're going to talk about what you need to do to switch seats uh, and what that means for us as a church. Uh, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, um, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 and 20. And we're going to talk about this um, idea that Jesus is no longer should be our co-pilot, uh, but our desire is to switch seats with him. And so is this, if you got it in hand or uh, electronically, or we'll have it on the screen here with you. It says this, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of God this morning, and I want you to say, we talked a couple weeks about, I made a confession that I am a road trip person, but if you are in the co-piloting seat, I have some expectations for you. You got to be a DJ's, but um, another confession moment, I will judge you based on how you DJ. But the real truth is the reason why I like to drive is I love to be in control. Right? Like, I just need to control every aspect of that. I need to, especially having a family now, I need to choose when we stop for gas, when we stop for food, how long, how many stops. I want to control it all. And do you know the worst part about me is on road trip is when I get into the passenger seat. My wife, for whatever time that she is driving, is like, stop it. Stop it. You are the worst co-pilot. And it comes out of the root because I want to control everything. Talk to her about it. She'll probably tell you some stories about how terrible I am about being a co-pilot. But really in there, that's one is, it's not that I don't like, I don't like to be in the passenger seat. I like to drive. I always like to drive. But I want to be in control. Because I, when I'm in the passenger seat, I don't know about you, but I nitpick about everything. You're going too fast. You're going too slow. You brake too hard. You should not sit in the left lane. You should stay in the right lane. But now you need to go and pass. Like every moment in there, I'm nitpicking at what is going on by whoever's driving. Whether I say it out loud or confession staff members, maybe I'm sitting in the passenger seat while you're driving and I'm just in my head. Right? Like I just, I need control. I have control issues right now before. I am the worst. But I think the thing that the, it comes down to the root is that I need control because I actually don't trust. Like, it's innate in me. I don't trust because I really feel like I could do it better. Anybody else in here that's like, I need to control because I have this deep down feeling that I can do it better. Like, whether it's driving or something else, that you need to control things in your life because you believe that you can do it better. I think sometimes this happens in our faith, is that we, when we say Jesus is my co-pilot, that we like to be in the captain's chair because we don't trust that God knows what he's doing, right? You've got an instance in your life, you're like, man, we went through that. If I was in control, that wouldn't have happened. Jesus is not your co-pilot. But when you sit in that captain's chair, you're sitting into the place of saying that I want to control the the destined, I want to control everything about where we go, how we get there, and what we do, because I believe I can do it better, and I've experienced things that tells me I shouldn't trust God in this thing called life, that I can do it better. 
That is me every time I drive. I remind myself that when I sit in the passenger seat, it's actually a good, healthy thing for me to do because it puts me in the right place. Reminds me, Austin, you are not in control of everything. But here's the thing. It's not only about what we like to do and control things because we don't trust. The reason why often some of us sit in the pilot seat of our lives is because we want to determine the destination of where we go. Like in coming here uh, to Pine Lake, um, is, it was just an incredible story, but it started in 2011 uh, when we were when I was graduating from seminary and we started interviewing uh, with our superintendents around the covenant and conferences. And one of the things that they said is like, here, let's just start talking with your wife and start talking about like the places and region, what type of church, rural, country, um, town and country, city church, you know, what size you, 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 you want, like what is God calling you to? And I remember Ashley and I sat down and did this. And I was like, babe, like, we're kind of filling out this, like, uh, profile. Where do you not want to go? And she was like, Texas. Mm-mm, not Texas. And I was born and raised in Texas, and so my heart died a little bit that morning. Um, she's like, nope. And then I was like, okay, where else? And she's like, Connecticut. Mm-mm, I ain't going back there. She's like, I grew up there, and I need some space. Like, anybody of you ever done that? Like, you grew up somewhere, and you're like, I need some space from you. And then the last one was Alaska. Like, my wife was like, mm right? The Alaskan churches, there's always somebody who's like, mm, we could come use you. Like, you could be out in the wilderness. You could really serving where God's country is. And Ash was like, mm nope. Do not interview with one Alaska church. Uh, what were our first three churches? Texas, Connecticut, Pine Lake. We're getting close. I think God has a little bit of a sense of humor when you say like, I want to control the destination to which my life goes. And he's like, you're like, I ain't doing this, this, and this. And he's like, watch this. Like it literally, I mean, it's funny. Like we are as close probably in proximity to getting to Alaska, babe. Uh, Don't say Alaska anymore. We might be leaving soon. I'm just kidding. We're not leaving at all. Um, But that is the funny thing about Christ. That's the funny thing about us in our lives is that when we want to sit in and be the pilot of our lives, if we want to sit in the captain chairs, often it's because we want to determine the destination. We want to determine where we go, when we go, how we go, and we want to have everything defined because we believe that we have a plan for our life and the way we want to go, whether it is where you live, your job, vocationally, where you want to travel. Everything in our calendar is set up so that we control all of the destinations. But let me tell you something. Like, there's been moments where we have decided to follow Jesus and to do things that are so counter to what people would normally say and do, they would think like, why in the world would you ever leave um, a place where you have best friends in one of the best cities in the world in Chicago and go to Texas? Like, why would you do that? That's silly. Why would you then move to Connecticut? Connecticut is probably one of the most boring states in the country. If you go there, don't visit. Um, just kidding. But then, you know, coming here, they're like, oh, that's a good, that's an upward move. But really this idea, think about it for a second. The disciples of Jesus were fishermen, tax collectors. They were people that were just doing life. And then they asked to leave it all behind to not control the destination of their lives and to go and see something else. See and experience this person named Jesus who is a Messiah who they'd been waiting for and life was about to explode. They were about to see things that people hadn't seen for millennia. 
Like they have been waiting on this person, Jesus. And all of a sudden, if the disciples had said, hey, no, Jesus, I'm actually going to control the destination in which I go and win. Maybe you come back in a year and I'll say yes. But right now, this boating thing and this tax collecting thing is going really good for me. And I'll just wait on you. Like you'll still be around for a year, right? Okay, come back in a year and I might say yes. Like literally this is when we say, Jesus is my co-pilot. When I am in the captain chair of my life, that we say, Jesus, even when you come to me, even when you come to me and you offer me something really good, I'm going to say, what do I want to do and what do you want to do? And I'm going to tell you, if you don't just take my word for what it has been like the last, uh, you know, 15 years um, in ministry— that life has gotten so much better when we say yes to Jesus than we dare say yes to what we want to do. Like, trust me. That story has come all over our places. When I wanted to get married to my wife, and I said that I wanted to make a little money so we'd be a little cushiony, but I couldn't find a job when it was in accounting, when the accounting field had been hiring more than it had been in the last 50 years. I couldn't find a job because Jesus is saying, here's where I want you. Here is where you're going. So church, what do we do when we say, like, we want to get out of this place of being in control of, of our lives? When we want to move from Jesus as our co-pilot, and we want to move out of the captain chair, into the first officer's chair, like, here's the thing. Switch seats. No, like right now. If there's a seat next to you, switch it. Nobody's doing it. Move. Switch seats. Go to, go to your left. Yeah, there you go. Yes, 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 yes. And if you're on the end, like there's a thing, roll over, roll over, and one fell out. Like, so if you're on the end, I'm sorry, you're, you're just going to fall off. And, and maybe that's what Jesus wants you to do. I don't know. But really, like I'm just in that practice of what you just did. Here's the thing. When we talk about this idea of who Jesus is, what he's calling us to, to move away from being in the captain's chair, like, it's not just about a mental exercise. We've talked about this a lot over the last six months, and we want to encourage you that this is not a mental exercise. The reason why I wanted you to do that is feel what it's like to get up and get into a new seat. Your faith is not just about understanding cognitively what Jesus is wanting you to do, but actually about praxis, which is practice in your life, which is literally doing what he's asked you to do by standing up and sitting down in another chair. So maybe you need to take, like, take, go, go home and print out a picture of your face and then put it on the passenger seat. And every time you're driving around and you look, you're like, I'm supposed to be there. Right? I'm supposed to be there, right? Like, don't, don't buy a car like those driving school cars where there's a, uh, um, a steering wheel on one side and on the other. Don't go driving in the right. You're going to freak everybody out and you'll probably cause major accidents. But what I'm saying, though, is you literally need to have the practice of switching seats. Because here's the thing. This is one thing I love about Jesus. You can operate as a follower of Jesus for decades and decades and decades, and there will never be a moment that Jesus yanks you out of the driver's seat of your life. He'll never do it. I've talked to too many people over decade plus of years of ministry. They're saying, like, I'm trying to do it my way. I'm trying to do it the way I think I want to live my life. I want to take Jesus with me, but I really am hoping and praying that he'll do this, this, and this, and this, and this. And Jesus will never yank you out of the chair what he'll do is he'll sit there in the seat that you have put him in and he will ask you to switch seats. Like, that is the most incredible thing 
about Jesus. And maybe you've been missing that. You said that it's either my way or his way. It's either like Jesus wants to yank me out of the car and just drive it and put me in the back seat with a five-point harness and you feel like a kid. It ain't that. Jesus will invite you to move and switch seats. Like, really, that's what he, Paul is saying here in Galatians. He's saying, like, in this place, right? That in verse 19 and 20, he says that, that I have died so that I might live for God. I have been crucified through Christ. He said, I no longer live. Paul chooses, like, the words that people use are important. They're not just by happenstance. Paul says, it is no longer I who live. I no longer live. And here's my thing. Who would want a lot of dead people driving around and flying planes and driving cars? Nobody. People who like are zombies who have no mental capacity to do anything are driving around the cars just doing whatever they want haphazardly to the rest of the world. This is why Jesus, this is why followers of disciples of Jesus and followers of Jesus are so different. Because we are sitting in the passenger seat and allowing God, who is the creator Redeemer, restorer, and sustainer of life to sit in the seat of our lives, to sit in the captain chair so that we might know life. I just think about this a lot this week. Not as a way to prepare for the sermon, but in a reflection always of my life and where it sits. Is that when I want to control everything and when I don't trust Like, I think about this moment, is that I am, if I'm living on my own power, that I am trying to sit in the captain's chair to create life for myself. Like, that's what we're doing. When you sit and try to control everything, you're trying to say that I want to be the controller, the creator, the redeemer and restorer and the sustainer of all things that is my life right now. And then when I look at Jesus, I say that actually the one who created, the one who redeemed, restored, sustains, is sitting right next to you. The one who stood before all of creation, before you ever existed, is in the passenger seat? I think about this and I'm like, Austin, you're an idiot. That why wouldn't you want to give up your seat to the one who created, restored, and sustained? who has the power of breath to breathe life into dead bodies, to see, to take um, the prophet up to a valley of dry bones and say, watch this as I breathe life and bones come back together, ligaments and tendons start to to get molded back together, muscle starts coming back on the body, flesh comes out, and then breath is breathed in from the four winds of all of this valley and life is breathed back into dead bones. And you want to sit in the driver's seat of your life? Like, I wonder if that's why we feel so dead. Because the person that's sitting in Jesus, who's sitting in the passenger of life, who has the ability to raise dead things from life, literally, I'm not figuratively speaking, he has the ability to raise dead things from life, and you don't want that, you want what you got. No wonder nobody that looks at Jesus and looks at us wants anything to do with Jesus, because they're saying like, why? Even you who know Jesus and have seen and heard and believe of what he's actually done, fed 5,000 with just a little bit of less than what's on your plate today, he's done that and you still don't want anything to do with him. Driving your life. Switch 
seats, my friends. But not only that, here's the thing. How many of you, a little confession time, I've done some confession, now you're going to confess. How many of you, when you're in the passenger seat, you fall asleep right away? Anybody in here? Yeah, I see a couple of you. You're never riding with me. Like literally every time, like you start driving, you get on the highway, and it's like that white noise, or, the t- or in the plane, like you're the person that w- before we even like they get takeoff and you land, you're like, right, you're that person next to it, and I gotta go to the ba- bathroom, and you're like, what? Get up, go away. Like literally, or maybe you're a young person that like the moment that you get in the car and you're on a long trip, you put those AirPods in, and you're just like, yeah, yeah. Like you're in your own world. Like you're in this place where you're oblivious to the life. Like here's the thing. When you allow God to leave, when you switch seats, here's what I'm begging you to do. Don't fall asleep and don't drown in the world. Actually participate in a posture of actually learning. Like, this is what it means. Like, and this is what our world, and this is what Jesus did with his disciples. And instead of, hey, coming off the boat, coming off of being a tax collector, and come, and they didn't just, like, sleep all the time with Jesus. They watched him, how he talked, how he walked, how he acted, how he did everything that he did. So that the moment that he leaves, like he said he was going to, they weren't lost. Here is the, the, the biggest part of what it means, not just to switch seats, but please do not fall asleep. Every one of these things that we talk about in life is incredibly important, and it's where you learn them matters, and who you learn from matters. Like, we do this all the time. Like, if you want to become, and we do this with our kids all the time, we do this in our lives. If we want to become better at something, we go under the tutelage of someone who knows what they're doing. Right? Like every moment that we come to a place of, I want to learn an instrument. I want to sing better. I want to act better. I want to play this sport better. I want to be better at this job, at this aspect that I really think of. I want to be a better communicator. What you do is you go out and you sit under a person who is an expert at what they do. This is what it looks like to get better at what you are striving after for. And as disciples of Jesus, we not only need to get out of the seat, but now we need to sit in under Jesus. We need to look at Scripture. We need to be in communication and relationship with the Holy Spirit to understand what it actually looks like to live this life out. This is what happens so naturally, and yet sometimes in our faith is the one thing that we actually don't do. And when I say that, it means that nowhere in Scripture do do we see a moment in time where disciples of Jesus, where followers of God in Israel said, I'm going to do it by myself. The disciples of Jesus didn't come um, after Jesus had died and was resurrected. We were sitting in the room, scared to death, not knowing what to do next, had all decided, hey, what part of the known world are we going to go to and do our own thing? They decided to stay together, to be in relationship with one another, to learn and to take what they had learned over those years with Jesus and start sharing that with others that were in the room with them and who would be in the room. This is why it's so incredibly important that this is not the only moment that we engage in discipleship, that we sit together with one another in order to encourage, to build up, to push further this idea of apprenticing under Jesus, that we apprentice under Jesus, not you alone, but us together. 
And this is the thing that I think is incredibly important. We not only talked about maybe your life is dying because you are trying to create life in the, in the um, captain chair or the driver's seat of your life, but maybe that you switch chairs, but after a while, you feel like this trip is incredibly boring. Or this life as a follower of Jesus is not all it's cracked up to be. It's because you haven't centered yourself and surrounded yourself with people who are ebbing and flowing this life that Jesus has from him into them. Like, I believe that. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. But I'll say another thing. Is that life produces life. When you're around dead, toxic, killing people, you're going to become a dead, toxic, sad person. But when you're around people who are authentically in the passenger seat of their life and apprenticing after Jesus and life, have you ever, I know you're probably thinking of that person right now. These are the people that are in it together. These are the people when you ask them, why is your life in Jesus so amazing? Why is your life in Jesus producing so much fruit? Why is life in Jesus for you such on fire? And because you know what they'll say? It's because not only am I in a relationship with Jesus, but I'm in a relationship with one another. Man. This is not a like special sauce in a, a, a course or a dish that you hold to yourself. It's plain knowledge. Look in here. Look at what we do together. You want to know the people that in life that are ebbing and flowing and looking like their faith is real because I bet, I assume, that their relationship with Jesus, they're in the passenger seat, they're really doing, and they're also doing life with one another. This is what it means when we talk about that God is not our co-pilot, that Jesus sits in the chair, the captain chair and the driver's seat, and that you sit in the passenger seat, and you are not just falling asleep, but you are actively involved in relationship with one another. Church, you can come here for 40 years in this existence and feel like you've been the same for 40 years. I'm coming up on 40. It scares me. I've been going to church all my life. And my question to myself, am I the same person that I was when I was eight years old in my faith that I am today? I hope I'm not. I don't believe I am. But that's not because I went to seminary. That's not because that God feel like it's call in my life to be a pastor. It's the call on my life to get out of the seat of my, the captain chair of my own life, to sit in, but then to be active, involved in the one anothering of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Parents, This is what it means. If you want your kid to find and follow Jesus, you find and follow Jesus. Find him, choose him, and then surround yourself with people that ebb and flow life out of them that looks like Jesus, and it'll become attractive. It'll be good patterns that even though they might say, like, I don't think and want to do that for a while, they always come back because that is where life exists. They will go out, we will go out, and all of us has gone out and searching for life in other places where the world says life exists and you're missing out. And we go there, we experiment with it, we look at it and we say, that fails in comparison to what I've, been, what I've known in Jesus. And you come back to it. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's just adults. Maybe we as adults are like, man, in my vocation, in my life, in my personal life, hobbies and things, I've been trying to find everything that might fill life but it pales in comparison to knowing Jesus, finding Jesus, following Jesus, 
do life together. There's no shame. Because Jesus is always inviting you. Always inviting you, never yanking you, never shaming you. It's an invitation into life of itself. Let's pray. Father, God, we just, we come to you not using some coy trick, but God, I, I wonder. I wonder if I was writing my note to you for real today. Would it be a list of things that I want you to do to fulfill the expectations that I have with my life? Or would it it be a page full, a note full of the incredible things that you have been doing and did that I never dreamed or imagined could happen? God, thank you for the invitation the invitation to find you, the invitation to follow you. God, to be infused with life, not at just one moment, but every moment thereafter. God, Holy Spirit, we just ask. Maybe in this moment, I just feel like there's a place that we need to decide not only mentally, but physically, with the praxis of our life. To open up our hands and say, Jesus, I release control. <laughs> life hasn't been that great anyway with me controlling it. How about Jesus, you take over for a bit? Or God, that we are so, so in desire and seeking after a life that maybe we give you a try. And maybe instead of dipping our toe into the pool of faith, we go over the diving board and we jump all in. I don't know where we are. I don't know where every individual is here but I know who you were calling us to be as a church. It's Pine Lake Covenant Church. This is us. We're all in. We are all in on this thing called life that you ebb and produce in and through us. Not for only our good, but for the good of one another and the world. Mm. How good and pleasing it is when God's people come together. And good fruit and good life are produced because of you. God, may we produce that life because of your work in and through us and because of your work through your son and his death and resurrection. God, create life in us. It's who you are, it's who you've always been and who you will be. Yes, it's in your name. Amen.
I wonder. Sometimes words are hard to sing, right? He won't fail. He won't. Like, I just wonder for a second. You're going to catch me preaching for another minute. (laughs) I wonder... I know it says, do not put the Lord, to your te- Lord your God to a test. But I wonder if you would say yes to that truth. That no matter what comes your way, he won't fail. He can't. He can't. It isn't who he is. We think he fails because we're often to put him in the wrong seat. Who's failed? Me more often than not. Church, this is what is saying in Ephesians that, that Paul says, and this is going to be our benediction. When you say yes, you say yes to the truth that Paul proclaimed, that he, God, is able to do far more than you ever dreamed or imagined for his glory forever and ever. Amen. He won't fail. He won't fail. Don't take my word. Take his. We'll see you next week.